Let's be clear. Companies you apply to probably aren't sending you unsolicited pictures of bodily endowments. And if they have, please, please contact me right away because I need to have you on the show. That would be a fantastic interview and catapult this podcast directly to number one. I promise we'd be world famous. And now, streaming at you in living color from the far reaches of podcast land... America's white-collar wise guy, the career conciliary. What do you hear? What do you say? Welcome to the very first installment of the Career Conciliary Podcast, your no-frills, no-BS forum for navigating the corporate job scene. Jimmy here with you for what we hope to be a highly informative and impactful half an hour or so. We're going to do a few things in this episode. For one, I'm going to introduce myself, give you all some background on this new voice behind the mic, because I know you're all dying to know who the hell it is lecturing at you. And we're also going to talk about the show, tell you how it works, how it's set up, what to expect from this episode, what to expect from future episodes, and all that good stuff. And finally, we're going to get into today's topic, the heart of the matter, And it's one that I think a great many of us out there can absolutely relate to. So you're definitely going to want to listen. So first, we'll start with a little bit about me. My background is in industrial and organizational psychology. I have both a bachelor's and a master's in that field. Now, for anybody unfamiliar, this is essentially the scientific study of the workplace. When you go to school for that, you take classes in labor relations, human resources management, recruitment, selection, performance assessment, all those corporate operations. So you can say that from a theoretical perspective, I have a pretty solid foundational working knowledge of how organizations are set up and more importantly, how people in those organizations tend to behave. Now, what separates me, I think anyway, from a lot of the career coaches out there and a lot of the other talking heads in this space is my practical experience. I have a ton of it. I've worked for several large corporations in all types of capacities. I was a frontline employee. I was an intern. I worked as an individual contributor. I worked in some analytical roles and I even have some management experience. So I've, I've run the full gamut when it comes to what you can do in a corporate environment and the kinds of roles and responsibilities you can have. In the course of all that, I realized that I was very, very good at advising people and kind of always just had kind of a natural inclination to want to help people succeed in in the corporate realm. So a few years back, I actually went out and got a professional resume writing certification. Yes, I am a certified professional resume writer, certified in 2019 by the Professional Association for Resume Writers and Career Coaches. So if you look me up in there, you'll find me. So that, of course, helps with some of the theory. I mean, if I'm going to tell you guys what to put on a resume, I might as well have some kind of credential backing me up, right? And let's also talk about the name of the show, The Career Conciliary. Now, with a name like that, if you want to say it properly, if you want to say the Italian pronunciation, conciliari, literally means counselor. And why do I call myself counselor? Well, for one, In case you can't tell by the way I speak and the way I'm delivering my message to you, 
I come from an obnoxious Italian-American background and spent most of my life within an hour of New York City. So to say that that whole Italian-American culture rubbed off on me would be a gross understatement. But on top of that, I mean, just growing up in an Italian family does not make you a conciliary, not by any stretch of the imagination. You would never want the rest of my family being your conciliary. Let's put it that way. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Conciliary. I've always kind of been the person that had an inclination towards advising other people. And once I got older, once I got out in the professional world of work, even in college, I noticed it. I mean, I, I guess I really started noticing this probably in my junior year of college. Everyone was coming to me, Jimmy, what do I do? What kind of internship should I get? What kind of job should I apply for? Where would I be a best fit? What should I do with my life? Should I change my major? And for some reason, I don't know what it is about me. Maybe it's my charisma. Maybe it's the Italian-American charm. Or maybe I'm just that influential and dynamic. I really don't know. But whatever it was, I found everybody, those in my circle, those close to me, coming to me for the answers on the important questions in life. You know, things like, what do I do for work? What what job do I apply for? Where should I go to graduate school? And that's kind of where it all started. And from there, those classmates in college became friends. And those friends became clients later on down the line. And the whole thing just kind of snowballed into what has been a side project for me, just doling out career advice and, and help on resumes for the better part of 15 years now. So I finally got talked recently into going public with my message. I've helped a lot of people. I've worked with a lot of people, both in professional capacities, informally, formally, just about every kind of engagement you can think of when it comes to career advice and, and helping coach people through the job application process, through challenges in their career. It's happened in all kinds of places, all kinds of settings. It's happened uh, formal meetings at Panera. Uh, long nights at the bar at two o'clock in the morning, pushing closing time, a lot of very candid conversations then. So it's something that I've done, have been doing for a while, something I'm very passionate about. And I am way overdue to bring this message public and to hopefully help it serve all of you, those out there in the in the workforce that are looking to make changes or those looking to get in the workforce, whatever the case happens to be. And let's get into that for a second. Who is the ideal avatar, so to speak, the ideal listener for this show? Well, it's going to be somebody who works in the corporate world, typically for a, a mid to mid-sized to larger corporation, anybody who works in any kind of what would be considered a quote-unquote white-collar environment, is probably who's going to relate best to the content that I have here on this show. That's where all my experience lies. And just by bias of that, that I think is going to kind of be what I think the average listener would relate best to. So how is the show going to be set up? A lot like this. I'm going to present a topic of the day. <clears throat> many, many topics when it comes to the corporate world, job search, things like that. I'm going to go through the topic, introduce it, tell you what it's all about present some facts and figures, usually to back it up. I'm kind of an analytical person. I tend to roll with facts and figures a lot to back up what I'm saying and to add some legitimacy. But being the storyteller that I am, I'm also going to pull a lot from my own experience and tell you tons of bedtime stories about 
all the crazy misadventures I've personally gotten into out in the corporate world. And it's not going to be just me. I have a pretty extensive network of people from all walks of corporate life that I think could lend tremendous value to this show and to you as listeners. So from time to time, I'm going to leverage some of that. I'm going to have some guests on to tell their stories. And, you know, I am certainly not the expert on all things corporate. So if there's a particular area where I fall short, I'm going to turn to somebody else who has the right experience, who could tell a better bedtime story than me. Let's put it that way. Most importantly, guys, I want to keep the show fun. A lot of this kind of content, and again, this is no knock on any other content creator. I respect all of them. There is a lot of great talent out there saying a lot of really great things. However, the subject matter tends to be a little bit dry. And I've listened to a ton of it. I've watched a ton of YouTube, listened to a ton of podcasts. I don't know of anybody else out there doing it quite like this. I'm going to try to keep it fun. I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to be down to earth because that's what you want, right? Do you want somebody else just telling you what the politically correct textbook safe answer is? No, you want somebody who's going to add some color, somebody who's going to make things interesting, somebody who's going to tell you the stories that you're not allowed to talk about at work. I'm going to keep it clean. I'm not going to get up here and start throwing the F word around like a drunken sailor. Nothing like that. I'm going to keep it professional. You know, if you have kids in the room, you should be fine. But I do want to make it colorful and I want to make it real. And I hope you guys appreciate it. Now, before we get into the heart of the matter, into today's topic, there's one other thing that I want to touch on. The word conciliary, as I said, means counselor. And if you see it, you see this referenced a lot in the mob movies. What the conciliary does in that dark underworld is they advise the boss of the mob. So, of course, we're not talking about the mafia here. That's not what this is at all. We're talking about clean, legitimate organizations. That's what I'm here to address. However, the conciliary helps the boss. On this show, who's the boss? No, it's not me. It's you. My job is to help you. And just to be real with everybody, on a serious note, a lot of people, specifically the average American, you may not feel like you're the boss of your career or of your life. And there's some pretty good reasons why. Let's get into it a little bit. According to the Census Bureau, the median household income in the U.S. is just under under 75000 a year. And that's before taxes. So you don't bring home all seventy five. You lose whatever percentage of it that Uncle Sam takes and you get the rest. And on top of that, our friends at Business Insider tell us that the average mortgage payment is north of 2000 a month. So already we're working on a relatively modest income paying north of two grand for a mortgage on average. So as we can start to see the trend here, money's pretty tight for a lot of people. Gets even worse, guys. You add up mortgages, auto loans, student loans, credit card debt. You add all that up. The average American household is in the hole close to $60,000. And the clincher in all this According to a recent poll from the conference board, only about 60% of people surveyed indicated that they were quote-unquote satisfied with their current job, those that were employed. And it used to be a whole lot worse. 60% for job satisfaction really isn't bad, relatively speaking, to what those numbers used to say years ago. However, that's still the other 40% who aren't satisfied. 
So think about it. When you really unravel all this and when you really sit there and, and unpack it, you have people that are essentially broke. The average person is is broke. I mean, let's just be honest. It may not look that way. They may keep their lifestyle going with credit cards and shiny things. But based on those numbers, the average person's net worth, not very high. And the only thing keeping the engine running in their lives to maintain their lifestyle, keep food on the table, keeping everything going the way they want it to be, are jobs that many of them simply don't enjoy. So if that's how you find yourself, if that's how your life is set up, I can totally understand why you might not feel like you're the boss. You might not feel like you're in charge of your situation, but you are. You can always do something to change whatever situation that you're in. And part of what I want to do for you is help you realize that. I want to kind of go behind the scenes into what goes on out in the corporate world and help you understand where, hey, you know what? Maybe there is an opportunity there for me to do something a little bit differently than I had in the past. Maybe there is a way to break a bad pattern or maybe there's something that I haven't thought of before. However it plays out, I just want you to know before we start here, I just want you to know that you listeners, my friends, are the boss, not me, and neither is anybody else in your life. You call the shots. All right. So now that the dramatic, serious part is over, we can finally get into today's topic, which is one that should grab everybody's attention. The striking similarities between looking for a job and the experience of online dating. Hell of a way to start a podcast series, right? Compare looking for a job to Hinge or any of the other dating apps out there that are all exactly the same. My single people out there, you know this all too well. It goes a little something like this. You download whatever the latest app is. They all claim to be the best, and they all claim to be different, yet they all suck. You make an account, you do all that, and then the swiping begins. And that's where the situation becomes drastically circumstantial. If you're a guy... My brothers out there know this all too well. You do a ton of outreach. You send message after message after message for what seems like all day, and you hardly hear back from any of them. Eventually, you hear back from a couple. You make plans to meet up for coffee on a Thursday. And then when you send the text to confirm, hey, we still on, you get ghosted and upset. You guys know how that goes. Now, for the ladies, your inbox gets flooded absolutely deluged with desperate dude after desperate dude saying nothing but the nicest, most respectful, and most correctly punctuated clever turns of phrase, right? You're all probably sitting there saying, what's this guy, crazy? What's he talking about? Is he smoking something? Maybe. You get it. The kinds of messages that you ladies do get on those apps, I won't talk about on this show. Let's just leave it there. Now, we're going to draw a parallel. My job seekers out there, does anything about this experience sound familiar to you? No, let's be clear. Companies you apply to probably aren't sending you unsolicited pictures of bodily endowments. And if they have, please, please contact me right away because I need to have you on the show. That would be a fantastic interview and catapult this podcast directly to number one. I promise we'd be world famous. So if anybody out there has a story even remotely close to that, hit me up, send me an email. I need to hear it. But assuming that you don't, think about it. 
If you look for jobs the way that most people do, your job search involves all the usual suspects. LinkedIn, Indeed, Glassdoor. I was about to say monster. If you wanted proof that I'm a child of the dot-com era, you just got it. <laughs> no monster. But what happens when you do this? You go Rambo style. You brandish the resume. You fire off round after round after round of job submissions to open postings. And to what avail? What happens? Well, if you're like most people that wind up getting lost in, in the matrix, or if you feel that way, check this one out. Recent numbers from Zipia tell us that the average corporate job posting receives about 250 applications. And to be honest, it's way more when you're applying for remote jobs. We'll probably do a whole episode on that somewhere down the line. So stick a pin in that for now. Now, it's been reported that about 62% of the job applicants in this mix have to send up to 10 applications before they receive an initial contact, an initial response from one of the companies they apply to. But that's only the case for 62% of people. The other 38, you know what they get? Yep, you guessed it. They get more coupons from Target and more solicitations from the famous Nigerian prince in their inbox. Can you believe those morons are still trying that? I actually know somebody about a month ago got an email from somebody claiming to be that Nigerian prince. It's like 25 years now. When are they finally going to drop the act? I have no idea. But until we figure that out, it's quite a simple picture. You do a ton of work when you're applying for a job, and you don't always get a whole lot in return. None of us are strangers to that. But please keep listening, because it gets better. The same Zippy article that I cited earlier goes on to tell us that a person's chances of receiving a job offer actually increase to about 30% when they up the ante a little bit and send anywhere from 11 to 80 job applications. So from these numbers, if you send at least 11 job applications out, your chances of receiving an offer eventually go up quite significantly. And check this out. It goes even further. And this absolutely blew me away. Beginning with the 81st application, your chances of landing an offer actually decrease back down to closer to 20%. Oh, uh? We're going to come back to that. There's a lot of wisdom in that little statistic. So more on that later. And now let's compare some of those job search response numbers to what you get on the dating apps. Guys, when sending messages to women your own age on a dating app, you have about a 4% chance of hearing back from one of them. 4%. So you want to talk to four women, you got to send 100 messages. It's a little better for women. They hear back about 18% of the time when sending a message to somebody else their own age on a dating app. So if you were paying attention to those numbers, what should you have noticed? Maybe you already picked it out. You heard correctly. Job seekers actually do better than people looking for love on the dating apps. Look at that. The brightest news we've heard all day so far. And even though the experiences can sometimes feel frighteningly similar on dating apps and while you're applying for jobs, we've proven it. The numbers that we quoted have job seekers with a statistically better chance of getting what they're looking for than single people using dating apps.
So why is this? Sure, we can speculate, but being experienced in both disciplines, my two cents is that the job search process is way more focused and intentional than what goes on in the cesspool of online dating. Think about it. If you're approaching the job search the right way, and tons of future episodes are going to talk about the quote-unquote right way to do so, you're taking time to vet the company and the job itself. You're making your resume reflect the qualifications listed in the job posting. And when you apply, you're essentially sending a personalized package with a whole bunch of information on you and your credentials and your background and all that good stuff to the prospective employer. On dating apps, all you got going for you, if you're like most people, are a couple of five-year-old photos taken at the club in Atlantic City and an opening message, an opening line that reads, hello, gorgeous. Need we say more? And let's go back to something else that I touched on earlier. Remember what I said about something happens after you submit the 81st job application? Somehow your chances of receiving an offer actually go down quite a bit. Personally, I'm flabbergasted by this, and I would assume you are too. It would make sense, right? I mean, Personally, I tend to approach this whole thing like a numbers game. I believe when you keep the activity up, because your odds aren't great in either case, on the dating apps, hearing back from a job application that you submit online, but it would follow logically, right? That if you submit more applications, send more messages, eventually, lower of averages, you're going to hear back, right? That would make sense. And that's probably true. But here's an example you can probably relate to. Ever since the big tech layoff started, and maybe you guys have noticed this too, that hashtag on LinkedIn, open to work, has blown up. I mean, leaps and bounds. It's, it's everywhere now. It's a LinkedIn pandemic. And look, that's a really tough spot to be in. Real rough stuff. And if there's anyone out there listening that has been affected by a layoff and you have the open to work hashtag on your page and you're desperately looking for work right now, you have my deepest sympathy because I've been there myself. I've been in that situation and I know how hard it can be. However, have you ever seen those people that use LinkedIn as their own personal soapbox in a situation like that? If you have, You've seen them say things like, oh, I sent out 500 job applications and haven't heard back from a single one. This is unfair. My life sucks. Blah, 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 blah. And again, I do feel bad for them. But my question would be this. To go 0 for 500, to use a baseball reference, I'm a big baseball fan. 0 for 500. What does your job approach look like? I mean, you put me in the batter's box against Garrett Cole, he throws 100 miles an hour. But if I swing the bat 500 times, I'm going to at least foul one or two of them off. I'm not going to take them deep, but I'm going to make contact at least. So to go 0 for 500 applying for jobs, are you putting any strategy and planning and intentionality to any degree into your search endeavors? Or are you literally just throwing spaghetti at a wall, machine gunning out 40 applications an hour, Taking shots in the dark? Is that what you're doing? I don't know you personally, but if you're having that kind of luck, I'd say your approach probably has some fatal flaw somewhere along the line. So to that person, when they send the 81st job application, my best guess is that represents people whose job search strategy 
went completely off the rails somewhere between Pittsburgh and Chicago. There's a derailed train lying out in the field somewhere in Western Ohio as we speak. Now, what should your job search strategy look like? We're going to get into this ad nauseum in future episodes, and there's going to be lots of them. But for now, we're going to end the show with today's call to action. We learned today that the job search process can be thankless, frustrating, and at times you might even feel like you're yodeling into an empty cave. How's that for a visual? But statistically, there's good news. You do actually have a halfway decent chance of getting contacted, probably more so than you realized. So for now, my advice to you would just be keep the activity up. Like I said, in future episodes, we're going to get into all the specifics of how to approach the job search, what to do, what not to do, all that good stuff. But as we saw through the numbers, activity, just activity alone on its own will get your results. So for now, keep the activity up, keep applying, keep doing your thing. We also compared the similarities of the experiences of online dating to that of the job search process. And look, with complete transparency, it was meant as a lighthearted joke. But here's where I give you my personal recommendation, and I think there's some wisdom in this. Never do both simultaneously. If you're single and looking to mingle and looking for a job at the same time, depending on how critical your career situation is, my God's honest advice to you, get the work stuff squared away before you get involved in romantic endeavors. I mean, if you're already involved with one, so be it. But before you start a new one, get the work situation under control. That'd be my advice. Both processes, looking for a job and dating, as I'm sure all of you know, can both be incredibly draining and lead you down narrow pathways full of sharp objects and wild animals. There are enough pitfalls and booby traps out there in daily life that suck our energy and keep us on edge. And when you're doing something as stressful as trying to make a massive career move, you'll want to proactively mitigate as many as, of, as many of these potential headaches as humanly possible. I promise you, regardless of who you are or what you're looking for, there's no shortage of potential mates out there in the world. So don't think for a second that you're missing a damn thing by putting off dinner and drinks for another month or so while you get your career on the right track. And finally, there was another hidden nugget in today's episode, another little morsel of wisdom, so to speak. Manage your professional reputation appropriately. This could be a whole podcast series in itself. I'm sure there's one out there. But think back to what we said about people using LinkedIn as a platform to tell their personal sob stories. What do you expect to get from that? Is, that? is that supposed to make you an attractive candidate to prospective employers? Is a company supposed to feel bad for you? And as a consolation prize, throw you an offer with six figures, four weeks paid vacation and a 15% 401k match for your troubles? What do you expect? Guys, in today's world, your reputation can be ruined in a split second. All it takes is one bad post for everything to go completely haywire. You have to be extremely careful how you portray yourself online. And I can promise you, LinkedIn is not the place for drama. If you're having trouble in your career, my advice would be keep a good support team around you. 
friends, family, a good career coach, possibly a therapist, if that's your jam, depending on what you're going through. Whatever you do to manage it, just keep it off of your professional work profile. Employers have two things on which to judge you, your resume and your LinkedIn profile. You got to keep both nice and clean. Sadly, folks, that's all the time we have for today. Yes, that music means that this episode is in the books. But have no fears and shed no tears, because I'll be back with a new episode every week. As they say in the industry, no listeners, no show. So do me a favor and stay loyal. As the new guy behind the mic, I'd love to know how I'm doing. So if you find value in my content, please, please, please leave me a nice review. Tell all your friends about it. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. And beyond the confines of your headphones, speakers, TV screen, or any other crazy contraption with the ability to stream audio, I also provide one-on-one career assistance. So visit my website at career-conciliary.net to learn more about me, book me for one-on-one coaching, or explore some of the other career services that I offer. And to all of you out there in podcast land, remember this. Who's the boss in your career? You. Nobody else.